Well, thank you for being here. Good morning. And to all of you who are watching online, good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for being here with us. Um, if you are, let, let me talk to the camera for a second. So if you're here in AZ, if, if Redeemer is your home, but, but you're, you just don't feel comfortable coming back yet, just want to say hi to you. We love you. We cannot wait for you to come back and we can worship together. And we're working on some ideas <clears throat> that are going to help us maybe have some mask only, very distanced uh, venues here. And so we'll let you know more as that happens. All right. Now, um, if Redeemer is not your home and you're watching here, thank you as well for joining us. It is a privilege to serve you just like it's a privilege to serve all of you here today. So grab your Bibles, please, and open to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you got a Bible from an usher, that's page 1099. 2 Timothy chapter 3. As you are turning there, we're in a, in a series called Revival. Um, we're doing that series because found during this five, six months that we've had uh, away from church that for many people that caused their hearts to grow a little cold and a little apathetic and a, and a little distant from the Lord. And so this is a time to come back and say, hey, let's all, let, let, let's all rally around the things that'll, that'll pour gasoline on our spiritual lives. And so that's the, the idea here. So uh, if you are able... Please stand for the reading of God's word. And you online, you can do that too, wherever you are. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 12. 2 Timothy three twelve. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And here's where we'll focus today. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's God's word. You may be seated as you are. Join me in prayer. Father, this is one of those Mount Everest type texts in the Bible. And the reason it is one of those kinds of texts is because of what it says about the Bible. This this text helps us understand not only what the Bible is, which is, which is critical, but also what the Bible does. This text is the foundation for the kind of church that we want to be, the kind of church we, I hope that we've been for a few years now, that we've, been, that, that we've existed. And I pray that, that the truths here would continue to mark this ministry and this message for years to come because of the effect that this word can do in our lives. So do these things, please, here among us. And, and, and while I pray that for us, Father, I also lift up Mission Community Church. I pray for Pastor Joel, who's probably preaching right now online. And it's the same exact thing. Save people, sanctify people, use your word in powerful ways through the online ministries at Mission. Do the same things there that I'm, that I'm hoping you will do here. And do it, please, for the glory of your name. Amen. 
So before we left on vacation, my wife Katie had four plants on our back patio. She spent a lot of time on them, gave them a lot of focus, and two of them were really beautiful. Did you catch that word, were? Did you catch that? They were beautiful. Yeah, as we were leaving, I remember looking out and going, I'm not going to see those again. Now, I, I didn't say that to my wife at the time, but she's sitting right over there, so she now knows what I was thinking in those moments as I left. And uh, today, those beautiful plants are dead. And not like mostly dead. <laughs> dead. Now, this word revival is not used for giving new life to something that is spiritually dead. That word is regeneration. We talked about that when we were going through Titus uh, a couple months ago. We started this series last week on revival. Revival is used for Christians who've had the fire of their commitment to Jesus not go out, because it can never go out, but go down to the embers. Revival, like I said, is pouring spiritual gasoline on that fire. Revival is that, that first green bud coming from what looked like a dead branch, but in no time, new, new life is everywhere. I've had revival on my mind, and this week I, I saw this meme that I want to show you up on the screen. I said, if we want revivals, we must revive our reverence for the Word of God. Charles Spurgeon, certainly on the Mount Rushmore of Bible preachers who've ever lived, shows us what I tried to, the point I tried to make last week, which is that there is no revival without the Bible. So I, I want to be a church that's all about the Bible. As long as I'm here, that is what this church will be. I want to be about sound doctrine and, and a high view of God and biblical preaching. But I don't ever want us to get cold. I, I, I don't want our doctrine to stay in our heads and never move to our affections and then move out into our actions. I want the people who know the Bible the best to be the most kind and loving and generous and sacrificial and holy people because all of those things are biblical. Sadly, people, Bible people can be known for being some of the most meanest, stingiest, self-centered, unloving, critical people. And it just doesn't make sense. The people that, that, that love the Bible the most should live the Bible the best. And if you aren't personally, if you aren't at home or at, or at work or at school, it, it may be time for revival for you. What Spurgeon said, and, and what I'm trying to do is increase your reverence for the word of God because as I do that, it will create in you It'll, it'll cultivate in you the environment where personal revival can take place. It removes the weeds of apathy. It removes the, the rocks of a hard heart. And it gets you ready for revival spark. If you're honest with yourself and you're saying, you know what, you're getting a little too close, preacher, as you're reading my mail a little bit right now. Then just know, like, this is God's grace to you to bring you to a church that's talking about this that's exactly where you are. That's God saying to you, hey, maybe right now you need to tune the preacher out for a second and pray to me and say, and say God, you know, that's me. That, that's, where, that, that's what's happened to me. That, that's where I am. And, and, you know, I probably know why I'm here. And God, I, I'm here this morning. I, I'm ready. Do what you need to do in my life. You may need to pray that now. So he started this series last week on revival with a look at revival in the Bible and, and particularly answering the question, what is the Bible? What does the Bible do? And we saw last week it is, it is the, the, that many of you, if you have the word holy on the cover of your Bible, that's legitimate because this book is special. It is, it is unique. 
It's distinct from every other book. Chapter 3, verse 15, we just read it. The word sacred is used for this book. And, and it's sacred because this book alone is the message from God to humanity. Nothing else, no other book, no other prophet, no list of do's and don'ts, nothing else is God's word. Only this book. That's because only the Bible, verse 16, is breathed out by God. Only the Bible's true source is God himself. Only the Bible makes a person wise for salvation, verse 15. Only the Bible makes a person complete, equipped for every good work, verse 17. So there is no message from God. There is no salvation. There is no growth and change after salvation without the Bible. Well, there is no revival without salvation already. Remember we said revival happens within believers. So revival then is a jump start to the spiritual battery of your growth and change if those things have stalled. Now today I want to increase your reverence for the Bible by doing a deep dive into verse 17. I want to talk to you about one of the most reverence-increasing truths about the Bible, which is the sufficiency of the Bible. We all know what that word sufficient means. When we go to our bank account and we need to pay bills and we go, is there a sufficient amount of funds to pay my bills? We know sufficient when we watch a baseball game and we, we see a, 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 a long fly ball and we wonder, is it sufficient to get out of the field? We, we, we know this word, and when it comes to the Bible, what sufficiency refers to is the Bible having enough truth for a person to be saved, and the Bible having enough truth for a saved person to please God in any situation they find themselves. Let me say that again. Sufficiency, when it comes to the Bible, has two aspects. First, it has enough truth for a person to be saved, and second, it has enough truth for a saved person to please God in whatever situation the Christian may find themselves in. So in the Bible, God has given Christians everything they need to do to be saved, to honor him and to be like Jesus. There's no spiritual situation a Christian will ever be in that the Bible isn't enough to handle. And one of the clearest texts in the Bible on that is verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. Now you notice that text starts in the middle of a sentence, right? And the sentence begins in verse 16. So let's, for context sake, let's get the whole thing. All scripture, there's our subject, all of scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable, teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. And the profit is that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So all scripture, every chapter, every verse, every word in the Bible comes from God as the ultimate source. What it says, God says. Now as a result of what the Bible is, notice, it is profitable. It benefits us. God gave the Bible to bless you, to be a benefit to you, to, to advantage you. And, and notice, that advantage works in your life through teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. For the Bible to be that for you, to be a blessing, to profit you, to bless you, it must teach you, rebuke you, correct you, and train you to do what's right. And when it does, the result, verse 17, the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Every good thing God wants you to do, everything that pleases him, everything that is his will for you to do, you can do. You can become ready for and actually do through the Bible. And if that's true, 
The Bible must be a regular part of your life or you won't be equipped to do the, all of the good things that God wants you to do in your life as a Christian. So your, your reverence for the Bible will increase. The, the stones of apathy, if they are there, the, the, the weeds of indifference will be, will be tilled, made ready for the spark of revival. As point number one, you consistently expose yourself to the Bible. Expose yourself to the Bible. The Bible cannot teach you unless you expose yourself to it. It cannot confront you or correct you unless you expose yourself to it. It cannot train you to do what's right unless you expose yourself to it. Verse 17, in other words, assumes those four things are happening in a Christian's life. God expects his people to expose themselves to the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 says God's word is to be on our hearts. That's not spatial, like take the Bible and lay it here. Okay, good. No, that, that's obviously not what it is. It's, it's, a, it's a, the sense that it's, I'm thinking about it. It's in my mind. I'm exposed to it constantly. And so much so, verse 7, that Christians will teach it diligently to your children. You're exposed enough to it that you can teach others about it. And, and you're able to talk about it when you sit in your house and when you walk by the road and when you lie down and when you rise. And there's all of this exposure of the Bible coming out of your life because you've exposed yourself to the Bible in your life. Psalm 119.97 says of the Bible that it is, quote, my meditation all the day. Psalm 119 is a whole song about the Bible, longest chapter in the Bible, all about the, the, the glories and the goodness and the grace that God gives people through the Bible. And, and there's, there's no saying the things that are in that song without exposure to the Bible, like I have sought your precepts, verse 94. I'm seeking them, I want them, I desire them, I have to have them. Or I consider your testimonies, I think about them, I, I ponder them, I, I meditate on them. Or verse 97, oh, how I love your law. How I love it. The more you expose yourself to the Bible, the more you will love the Bible. Jesus knew the Jewish leaders had exposed themselves to the Bible, right? He, 10 times in the Gospels, he asked them, asked them, have you not read? Have you never read? Kind of a, you know, a kind of jab at them because of course they'd read the Bible. They're experts in the Bible. They just didn't read it well. And he knew that. Sadly, if Jesus asked that question to most American Christians today, have you not read? Most would probably say, no, I haven't. We lack exposure. We lack consistent, regular, even daily exposure to God's word. We want the effects of the Bible, blessing, love, growth, change, joy, whatever it is. We want the effects of the Bible in our lives with little or no exposure to the Bible. It's like wanting a nice golden tan from the sun without putting your body in the sun. Just not possible. It can't happen without exposure. So when the Bible talks about exposure to the Bible, it, it often talks about consistent exposure, not, oh, you know, I did that for a little while and then I stopped and, you know, fits and starts and stops and stops, all that stuff. No, you've, you've heard it already. Actually, Psalm 119, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day, all the day. Psalm 1, 2, on God's law, the blessed Christian meditates day and night. Remember, Israel had feast days. If you're familiar with this, they had feast days where, where, the, where the Bible says, hey, you need to go to Jerusalem, celebrate these feasts. And you know what they did regular times every year uh, throughout the year? 
as they read these portions of Scripture. Everybody heard it and had it explained for them. Acts 15.21 speaks of the synagogue where the law was read every week, every Saturday. And the verse says that the Jews have been doing that, quote, from ancient generations. That My point is that this is always the expectation that God's people expose themselves to God's word. Is it great, great for them, but what, what is your routine for Bible exposure? If you have one and it's going well, great. Keep it up, keep going, excel still more. But if you don't, if you don't consistently expose yourself to the Bible, here, here's how you need to think about it first. You need to take Bible exposure out of the category of like laundry or yard work. I'll, I'll do it when I get around to it. And put it into the category of toothpaste or coffee. I see what some of you say about coffee on, on social media. You might have an idol there. Needs to go from, if I get around to it, to, I absolutely need to do this. There's a lot of things we, we put into that category that probably don't need to be there. Toothpaste definitely needs to be there. But social media, Netflix, those kinds of things, probably don't. People consistently expose themselves to things they think will benefit them in some way. Exposing yourself to the Bible. Look, think about it. Look at that word in verse 16, profitable. This book, God, God moved on the writers to inspire their writings so that you would be benefited in your life. That's why it's here. It is here to benefit you. It is here to bless you. It is here to change your life in ways that you will look at and go, this is good. This is good that I'm changed in these ways. You say, John, you know, I hear you, but I just don't, I don't do this well. I start and I stop. And th- th- here are a couple things that maybe will be helpful for you. First, we have a Bible reading plan. Maybe they're, I think they're outside on the, uh, on the, the breezeway at the, at the large table, but it's on our website. You can download it. You can, you can put it on your phone. You can look at it every day. On the back of your program, we do the Bible reading plan every week at the top. So you can jump in and start going. If you're like, okay, John, like, I read this study that, that most people don't read another book after high school. In the last service, I, heard, I got an amen when I said that. <laughs> so, um, and so there, there's, there's a majority of people that are probably like, read, come on, like I can't, I can't do that. That's, that's a lot. Well, two things. One, if reading the whole Bible in a year, if that's going to be too much, I would say just start with the New Testament. And if you're like, you know what, I just don't read really well. Bible app on your phone, press the little microphone or the little speaker button and it'll read to you. It'll just read it to you. Expose yourself to the Bible. If you're saying, you know what, John? I, I, I read it, but I don't get it. I don't understand it. I need, I need someone to teach me. Well, we've, we, we've got you there too. Every, so what we've done is that, if you don't know, we, we, we started this uh, a broadcast called The Daily Word where we are daily explaining the New Testament portion of the Bible reading plan. So you read the Bible reading plan, New Testament. You click on, we, we upload it about 6 a.m. every day. And then you can just walk with one of the pastors through the text that you just read. So you're like, I, I want to, okay, that's helpful, but is there any more? On the back of your handout where you're taking notes, there's a little box in the bottom right corner. There are three resources in order. Start with the top one. 
Get that one. Use it when you read the Bible. Study notes at the bottom. If you're like, John, I got through that one. Go to the next one. Go to the next one. If you get through that one, you're like, okay, I'm good. You know what'll happen? You'll have knowledge upon knowledge and you'll be going, wait, I, I actually do get it now. This actually does make sense to me. If you get past that, hey, I will be more than happy to say, hey, I've got more resources I can give you. Expose yourself to the Bible consistently. Knowledge will build and you'll say, I get it now. But beyond getting it, you'll have tangible proof in your life that your life is being changed. You will see the profit. Now, look back at verse 17. It's one thing to expose yourself to the Bible and even expose yourself consistently to it. It is another thing for that exposure to change your life. The Bible teaches, confronts, corrects, and trains Christians to do what's right. And in doing so, verse 17 says, the man of God is complete, equipped for every good work. So the context here, verse 17, is the pastor, the man of God, the man who belongs to God. That's a title. It's used only twice in the New Testament, but it's used 60 times in the Old Testament. And it refers to prophets, men who are called by God to speak God's word to God's people. And Paul takes that title from the Old Testament and uses it for Timothy and says, Timothy, pastor, you're the man of God. And how are you going to be equipped to do all the things you need to do in ministry? Be taught, confronted, corrected, and trained by the Bible, and you will have every single thing you need to do for the ministry that God's called you to. Those two words, complete and equipped, are the source of the idea that the Bible is sufficient for salvation and doing God's will after salvation. So the Bible's ministry in his life is going to make him complete, capable, proficient, able to meet all the demands that he's going to face as a Christian in Christian ministry. The Bible's ministry in his life, in other words, didn't leave him lacking anything that he needs for his life or his ministry to please God. He gets all the tools, all the equipment, everything in the Bible. This word, by the way, complete, translated complete in the ESV, is used of a machine that's capable, a machine that is capable of doing the work it was created to do. It's used of a rescue boat. You know, those boats, boats are, boats are sinking and, and other boats go out to rescue them. It's used of a rescue boat that has all the equipment needed to help any boat that's sinking. He gets everything he needs. He's not deficient. He's not crippled. He's not lacking in any way when it comes to salvation, the Christian life, or Christian ministry. And then this gets clear from that second word, equipped. This doesn't mean, this word doesn't mean adequate or able. It means completely adequate, fully supplied, complete, totally ready for the ministry task at hand. He's, com- he's complete because he's totally equipped for every good work. He is this and he will remain this as the word is doing its work in his life. Then add that, look at verse 17, to the word every and the Bible makes him able to do any good thing, any right thing, any, any godly thing that God wants him to do. And here's the point, Christian. If, what's, if that's true for a pastor, his life and his ministry, it's true for your life too. As the Bible teaches, rebukes, corrects, and trains you, you won't be missing anything in your Christian life. You will have everything you need to do everything God wants you to do. 
So to cultivate the soil of your heart, to get it to a place where I, I need the spark of revival. You, you can, it, it, where it will really take root and spring up and, and grow strong in your life. Then point number two, constantly allow the Bible to influence you. Allow the Bible to influence you. It's one thing to expose yourself to the Bible. It's another thing to conform your thoughts and your emotions and your attitudes and your desires and your actions to that Bible. Christian, we are saved to do good works, Ephesians 2.10. Titus 2, Titus 3, we're to be zealous for good works, ready for good works, and to devote ourselves to good works. Well, how can that happen in our lives? Especially in areas where, where you feel, or maybe you even know if you're honest, I'm deficient in some area. I, I keep sinning in this area. I want you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. If you've got a Bible from an usher, it's page 1120. 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to go through this quickly and, and kind of summarize what, what Peter is saying here. But the, the point is when, when, when there is a sense or there's a reality that you are deficient in some way in your Christian life, where do you get the sufficiency from? Notice verse 3. The divine power of Jesus... Jesus is the subject coming in from verse 2. The divine power of Jesus has granted to us how many things? Say it with me. All things that pertain to life. That's eternal life and godliness. That's Christian life after salvation. All the things that concern eternal life and devotion to God after salvation come through the knowledge of Jesus. Knowledge of him, which is found in his precious and very great promises. Now, it's through those promises that Christians, notice verse 4, may become partakers of the divine nature. Which means you will become more like Christ. His life will be shared with your life as, quote, his precious and very great promises in the Bible are growing you and changing you and influencing you. And as I've said before many times, chiseling the image of Jesus into the concrete of your life. All of us need to be taught what is true and what is good. And that's what the Bible can do. Turn back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. That's what the Bible does, right? Verse 16, it teaches us. All of us need to be rebuked. We need to be rebuked when we believe error or when we're being sinful. The Bible does that. Verse 16 corrects us, rebukes us. All of us need to be corrected. All of us need to replace lies with truth. We need to replace sin with what's right. We need to replace uh, anxiety with trust and bitterness with kindness and selfishness with, with love. We, we need that. Well, the Bible can do that corrects us. All Christians need this training, this influence of the Bible to go on in our lives. And God will do it if you allow the Bible's influence on your life. And when you do, you'll be given all the tools that you need to do all of the good that God wants you to do. There's not a single good work God wants you to do that he doesn't equip you to do through the teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training ministry of the Bible. Not a single one. Not one. So I grew up about a, a mile or two from the beach in California. And um, in the summer, in high school, I would go down to the beach almost every day. One guy was like, what a rough life you had. Oh, sorry. 
So I was done with sports in the summer, and then I would, we'd get on our bikes, or we'd get in our cars, and we'd drive down to Gina's for pizza, and then we would body surf or just hang out all day. And it was common, after being in the water for a long time, to find that your location on the beach has shifted. So you got in one place, and an hour or two later, you're in a completely different place. You get out, and you're like, where's my towel? Where are my friends? Where am I? And that's because whether you're swimming, surfing, whatever you're doing, the the whole time the tide is constantly moving you in whatever direction it's going. It might take you up the beach. It might take you down the beach. It might take you out to sea. But as you allow the Bible to influence, it's going to take you in a direction. But unlike the tide, it's not going to take you whatever way it's going. It's always going to take you into being more like Jesus. And he said, my sheep hear my voice. His voice is found in the Bible, both read and preached. And if he's not shepherding you, if he's not teaching you and influencing you through his word, who is influence? Who is shepherding you? Is it Fox News? Is it CNN? Is it social media? Is it celebrities? Is it sports stars? Like, who is it that has the, who is it that's shepherding your heart? Who is it that's shepherding the direction of your, your thoughts in your life? See, the tide, the influence, the the movement of the Bible will take you into greater and greater knowledge of God and wisdom on how to live your life and depths of closeness with God and truth and love and peace, just, just depths of more and more of that as you allow it to. As it's constantly influencing your life, you'll find that you're you're hundreds of yards, hundreds of miles away from the person that you used to be. Anybody relate to that? And you're hundreds of miles closer to being like Christ, to doing the good that God wants you to do. Listen, it's one thing to be challenged by the Bible. It's one thing to, be, to feel the conviction of God's word. The question you should be asking, though, is not was I challenged or was I convicted. You should be asking yourself, was I changed? When the Bible is doing its work in you, you become complete and you remain complete, healthy, whole, abundant life like Jesus talked about. The question is, will you allow it to? Because it is a very real thing that you can harden your heart. You can hear the Bible and you can go, not doing that. You can feel the conviction and go, no, no, push that off. And I would just say this is a moment of God's grace to you where you can say, repent. What comes to mind is Jonah hearing the word of God and going, I'm going to go the opposite direction. Many people who are saved run from God for some reason like Jonah did. And it's moments like this where you can hear, don't harden your heart anymore. Don't. Will you allow the Bible to influence you? Well, you know, this, this, so this is, when you say that, then the, some of the objections come, like, why isn't it just easier for me to do what God wants me to do? And then we get discouraged and we do nothing. Instead of allowing the Bible to equip us to do every good work, we look for quick fixes, shortcuts, easy, comfortable solutions. Or, and this is where I'm going to meddle now, just to warn you. Or what we do is we trust things outside of the Bible far more than we trust the Bible to help us change. All of us are going to trust something to give us what we think we need to grow or to change or to be healthy or do God's will or please him, be happy. However we want to conceive the the good life that we want. Our text is saying, trust God by trusting his word 
to do the work in you that you need so you can do the good that God wants you to do. Not allowing the Bible to influence you is where being cold in the Christian life comes from. That's where the dryness, that's where the declining, that's where the apathy emerges from. Knowing what the Bible says, knowing what God wants you to do, and consistently not doing it. And as I say that, some of you know exactly what God wants you to deal with. And the question is, will you allow the Bible to influence your life or not? And I'm just here to say, please do it. Please do it. Give in to the conviction. Give up on the rebellion. The rewards of obedience are far outweigh the supposed rewards of uh, pushing against the work of God in your heart right now. If you need help, we're here to help you. When you're constantly allowing the Bible to influence you, the spark of revival will have a place where the flames can be fanned for devotion to Christ in your life. And, and, And what I'm saying is this. Your reverence for the Bible will increase. The more you know about what the Bible is, you can't help but go, wow, this is a very, very special book. And that's my hope. But the, the soil of your heart will be, will be readied for revival. As point number three, you conclusively embrace the Bible's fixability. Embrace the ability of the Bible to fix the issues that may be going on. I, fixability is a word I made up. I looked for it in the Oxford Dictionary, but it's not there. Paul makes up words to suit his purposes, like the word we translate there, uh, breathed out by God. He made that word up to suit his purposes, so I made up one to suit mine. The Bible's fixability, surprise, surprise, is its ability, its power to change you, to grow you, to equip you, to do all the good that God wants you to do. As you make the Bible central to your life, the things God has for you to do, listen, no no circumstance, no problem, no decision will be too much because nothing is too much for God. And God is the source. He's the ultimate source of the Bible. His omniscience, his all-sufficient knowledge is given to us in the Bible to make us sufficient, to able to meet all the needs of the Christian life. So as I've been going through this, you might have started out going, yeah, I can agree with that. But the more that I've explained this, you may have questions now. So, so let, me, let me explain what I do not mean by what I've been saying. First thing I do not mean is that the Bible has an answer for every question you can think of. No, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that there are some things that God has not revealed. The Bible doesn't cover every conceivable topic. It covers what we need to know about God, salvation, and how to live the Christian life after salvation. Next, this doesn't mean that the Bible is sufficient for specific knowledge and practice for things outside of the Bible. So in my late 20s, I was a college professor, and uh, one of my students asked me if I would be on a panel discussion with some of her other teachers on the sufficiency of Scripture. And I thought, great. So when I arrived that day to the uh, chapel on our campus, I found that I was one of eight professors on the panel, the only one without a PhD, and the only one who believed in the sufficiency of Scripture. So I thought, I like these odds. All right. At one point in the discussion, one of the PhDs got a good laugh out of the crowd of over 100 students that were there when she said about what I was saying, look, I I don't want the doctor to do a Bible study with me if I break my leg. And the whole room erupted in laughter. And I thought, I'm not going to tell you everything I thought. But in in that moment, I thought, 
PhD, but you don't, you don't get it. You don't get it. It, it, the, the text does say every good work, and setting a broken leg is a good work. However, the context determines what good works means. The meaning in the context is not physical things, like broken legs or car repair or the rules of baseball or making ice cream or fixing a refrigerator or math or pharmacology or identifying different fruit flies or millions of other really good, great things. The context is clear. These are non-physical, spiritual issues, namely salvation, personal growth after salvation, and Christian ministry. Not some, not most, but everything you need to be saved and live a healthy, Christian, strong, complete life. The Bible does claim to give you that. Hmm. Listen, there's a, there's a lot of helpful information out there from non-Christians who were made in God's image, who can learn truth from the world that God created, but none of that can do what only the Bible can do. Could sources of information other than the Bible help help us in, in many ways? Of course it can. Will they ever be needed to help with spiritual issues? Never. There's a huge difference between something being helpful and something being necessary and completely able to give you the fullest, most complete, most, most healthy, God-honoring Christian life. There's also a huge difference between seeking insights from sources outside the Bible and equating those sources with the Bible. All sources that are outside the Bible are there to serve what the Bible says. They never are there to supersede the Bible. That is called unbelief. That is called atheism. The Bible determines the accuracy and trustworthiness of all other sources. There's no higher court of appeal. There's no greater authority on the subjects the Bible teaches on than the Bible. That is why Jesus said to the Father, your word is truth. It is not true in the sense that it meets the standard. It is truth because it is the standard. And all other claims to truth have to be in line with God's word. Which means there's never been, ever, ever been a need to add anything or to subtract anything from the Bible. Or to consider any source equal to the Bible when it comes to subjects that the Bible teaches on. It doesn't need more books to supplement it. It doesn't need the word of a prophet. It doesn't need our experiences. It doesn't need human theories, public opinion, surveys, experts, even from the best and brightest who have ever lived. The Bible stands above them all. Typically, when anything is placed alongside the Bible, people will eclipse the Bible in their thinking and teach things contrary to the Bible. There's nothing outside the Bible that God requires you to believe to be saved. There's nothing outside the Bible that, God, that will help you uh, help your life as a Christian that the Bible isn't already able to do for you. So let me be clear what I mean by this. If the Bible is sufficient, it's not elementary school, but visions and dreams. That's college, to know and do God's will. Or the, the Bible is elementary school, but archaeology is college for biblical history. Well, the Bible is elementary school, but business insights and the insights of culture, that's college for how to lead a church. Philosophy, that's college for the acquisition of truth and, and wisdom. Well, the, the Bible, that's elementary school. Psychology, sociology, our college for understanding people and how to help them with their problems. You do not need the latest fads 
and theories of non-Christians with minds that are depraved, self-centered, and corrupt, that are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart against the God that you know and love. God, instead of all of that, has given you this. And our problem is we just don't know it. We haven't exposed ourselves to it. We haven't let it influence us as much as we should. Bottom line, no one is God's counselor, right? Isaiah 40, 13. God doesn't have like a, an advisory board that's like, hey, you know, what should I do about this? Or did you read this article, God? Or did you watch this show? Did you talk to this expert, God? He has no counselors. He doesn't need them. No one has more knowledge about anything than God does. And he has shared his infinite mind on tons of subjects right here. That's too easy. No, it's not. You've ever really tried to study this book? God never needs to be corrected, supplemented, edited, revised. And neither does his word. Because, verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by him. He is the source. Therefore, trust the Bible alone to help you understand reality and understand yourself better than anyone or anything else possibly can. Until you've embraced this conclusively, this wholeheartedly, until you've accepted this truth as fact and then begin to build your life on it, you won't experience just how powerful the Bible can be to change and equip you. If you haven't embraced that yet, I would just say, go back, Psalm 119, look at verse 18. It is a prayer that says, open my eyes, Lord, help me see the wonderful things that are found in your word. Now to close, I know Bill Gates has become controversial in our day, right? But think back to when he was founding Microsoft and building the operating system windows, okay? Think back to those days. Now, if you had problems with Windows, and if you remember, if you were alive then, everybody had problems with Windows, right? If you had problems with Windows and you had access to Gates, would you go to him or would you come to me? That's a stupid question, right? 100% of the time, you'd go to him. He created Windows. He's the expert. That is the point of this whole message, right? If it would be idiotic, to come to me to fix your Windows machine when you have access to Bill Gates, it is idiotic to go anywhere else to do, accomplish any good thing in your life instead of going here. This is all you need, Christian. It's all you need. Christian, your life will be far better if you just take 1 Corinthians 4, 6 seriously and refuse to go beyond what is written. In God's book, the Bible, his inspired, inerrant, authoritative, clear, and sufficient word to us. Let's pray. God, everybody in this room is at a different place with you and a different place on this, this subject. And a teaching like this can cause so many questions and and so, Father, I've tried in my limited knowledge to answer those as best I can. But, God, your word is the sufficient word. Your word has the answers. Your truth is the, is the thing that can dispel the darkness of doubt and questions. 
And so as all of us wrestle with this truth right now, I pray that you would bless, bless this word. Use it, please, in our lives to do the things that we just looked at it, that we wanted, we, we, that you created it to do, just to make us more like Jesus if we're saved or to save us if we're not. And may this be the day where, where someone here who, who heard this message will see your goodness and your kindness and your grace and even exposing them to your truth and hearing about a Savior who died for their sins, that you will forgive all of their sins. There are many cultures out there who don't have a Bible and, and don't know this. But we don't have that excuse today. So Father, we look to you to do the work that only you can do through your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.